0: it's time to go into business for yourself get ready for another episode of the franchise academy podcast education insight and inspiration here's your host small business and franchise expert tom scarda welcome to another episode of the franchise academy podcast my name is tom scarda And we are out here in this podcast helping people figure out franchising. The Franchise Academy helps people figure out if franchising is for them or not. I'm a franchise consultant and an advisor. I match people with opportunities based on skills, personality, goals, kind of like the e-harmony of business is what I like to call it. Today I have a friend and and a mentor, Ron Holt, with me. Ron founded a franchise called Two Maids in a Mop out of Birmingham, Alabama. He is growing this thing nationally. I first saw Ron on the cover, I believe it was the cover of Inc. Magazine or one of those magazines. He gets so much press because he's doing such a great job. Turn this little interesting franchise and the industry on its ear and doing some really creative things. So I want to bring in Ron. Good morning, Ron. How are you?
1: I'm doing great, Tom. Thanks for inviting me here. It's an honor to be here, to be honest. I'm I'm Uh, excited to talk with you.
0: It's an honor to have you. This is really an unbelievable thing. So, you've been working with our company, Franchise, for quite a few years now. We've been placing people like crazy in this business um, and it's such a simple model. So, how did you come up with Two Maids and a Mop? What's the premise here?
1: Well, you know, there's a little romance to this and a whole lot of science to it. So, it's not one of those really um, tearjucker stories, but I'll kind of have to go back in time and talk a little bit about my my prior history before ever even becoming an entrepreneur and that journey will lead you into why I started Two Maids and a Mob in the first yes, place. Please. So, so I, uh, I'm i a chemist by trade. I was working inside this laboratory and I couldn't stand it. I hated it you know and it was uh, not quite the white collar when people think of white collar in America but it was a white collar because it was a lab coat and um, you know I was doing well. I was able to communicate pretty well and so I I rose to the ranks pretty quickly and uh, within a couple years right out of college became the manager of this laboratory and you know underneath me were PhDs with chemical chemical engineering degrees and uh, other chemists and biologists and super smart intelligent people and here I am this 24 year old idiot um, managing these people and running this business for for a, a global corporation. Wow. And it didn't take me long to figure out that one of the key reasons for its success was this thing called recurring revenue. I, loved, I fell in love with it. You know, and it's just this phenomenon as someone that had never been to business school before. It was this foreign language. But, I, you know, probably one of my best secrets that I didn't really look at as a secret back in those days was the fact that I didn't have any preconceived notion of what business was supposed to be. So recurring revenue, again, was this foreign language and I saw it up close and personal. I saw how much money was being made from it. I saw how few clients were being served and how those clients didn't have to be remarketed to, didn't have to be resold. Uh, We didn't spend money on them. They spent money on us, actually, because they would send in these specimens for testing every day. And within about, you know, a week or two, I figured out... Whatever my life's gonna look like down the road, it's gotta have some form of recurring revenue in it. I didn't really know I was gonna be an entrepreneur at that time, but it was sort of the seeds to the next sort of steps, uh, per se. Sure. Once I fell in love with recurring revenue, I fell out of love with corporate America. Um, And I said to myself, you know, I've got millions of ideas. All these middle managers above me were saying no, no, no. I tell this story. It's a true story. It's a crazy story. Probably a lot of people can relate to it. At some point, I took my boss my boss's job, and prior to taking my boss's job for about a year, I um, I had written this weekly report on everything from what we did the previous week, you know, key decisions I, I made, you know, actions that need to happen the following week. And uh, it was a really extensive report and I would hand it off to my boss and I did partly part of it was because I just, I wanted to know what was going on in the business myself, but mostly I was trying to impress the guy. And um, long story short, about a year later, I took his job, he retired and I, I I took his office. And when I took his office, I opened the drawer and 52 reports fell out. He had never read one of those things. So, (laughs) So, you know, it, it was just sort of the, um, Tipping point for me to say you know what this is this is not me I'm making a bunch of money I'm young and you know I should be happy but I'm totally unhappy and I told myself that right then and there I'm gonna start a business so that this doesn't happen to me ever again yeah. and so those are sort of the early early seeds to wanting to start a, a business and what eventually happened was I, I decided once I made that decision to become an entrepreneur I made this crazy goal of $150,000, which to a lot of people may not sound like a whole lot of money. Um, but to me, as a 24 year old kid, it was sounded like $150 million. I had had about a thousand in the bank.
0: And
1: so over the course of the next seven years, believe it or not, I inched my way day after day, week after week to that $150,000 mark. And along the way, I didn't really think of my journey in terms of growing up. I just thought I was working to earn my way to 150 so I could start a business. I also grew up. I became a better manager. I became more mature. I learned from some of my mistakes. Sometimes my supervisor said no for a reason because the ideas were bad. And, um, you know, after seven years, I finally, um, you know, got to the $150,000 mark. And along the way, came up with three things that led me directly to two maids of a mop in the residential cleaning industry. Of course, first was, res- was recurring revenue. The second, I'm sort of a contrarian by, by nature. I like to do things a little bit differently. And uh, the lab itself was somewhat different. There were only three providers of this type of testing in, in North America. And so it was very few people could do this. And so I wanted to be in an industry that no one else wanted to be in, because uh, I felt like I'd be able to, to rise above the tide quicker. Uh, I wouldn't be chased by Wall Street or Silicon Valley. Um, It'd just be me sort of uh, doing my thing. What I discovered was that in residential cleaning at that time, and believe it or not, even at this time, more than 90% of the market was served by mom and pop operators. And so the second thing was I just wanted to be in a little bit different of an industry. And the third, I wanted to be in a service industry that really had not yet embraced innovation or technology. And so Back in those days, the word disruption wasn't cool like it is now, you know, but I I sensed that residential cleaning since it was served nine out of 10 times by a mom and pop operator really had not embraced the idea or or role of technology. And I didn't know if I was going to create robots or what, um, but I felt like I'd be able to get inside the industry, find those weaknesses and turn those into strengths again using technology and those three things, believe it or not led me straight into the headwinds of the residential cleaning industry and I went headfirst without even thinking about the one thing I probably should have thought about, how do you clean a house? (laughs) 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 I figured that out after the fact.
0: (laughs) Well, that's great. So when you say recurring revenue, what does that mean in a two maids model?
1: Yeah, so most of our clients um, in in a given store a significant percentage of our customer base is comprised of recurring clients which utilize our service weekly every other week or once every month, once every four weeks. Um, the most common is every two weeks. So we get tw- when we sign up a new biweekly client per se, let's say it's $100, that's actually a $2,600 annual value. We're, we're gonna clean that person's home 26 times. So we're signing up 26 clients. Or if it's a weekly client, we're signing up 52 clients. No one really thinks of it that way, but that's what recurring revenue is. It's as close to compound interest as you can get in the service industry.
0: yeah, I love that. What technology have you employed in in this residential cleaning business, which is such a basic business right right
1: Well, again, early on, I had Rosie the robot visions you know I had all these dreams of uh, creating some kind of machinery that would revolutionized the industry and what I discovered is that residential cleaning specifically is very hands-on it's very difficult for a robot to come in and totally take over our our business model um, think about your own house think about your bathroom counter it's probably got a lot of stuff on it you know if, if you're like most bathroom counter owners and um, I don't know about you but a lot of uh, Bosses of the house, the wives, in other words, um, tend to want things to look exactly the same, except clean after we leave, and so we have to pick everything up, clean underneath it, clean the item, put it right back where it was, and then move on. And if it's out of place, we're in trouble. A robot has a hard time with that, you know. And plus, there's breakage and all sorts of opportunities. So we didn't really go down that road in terms of technology. Technology, we looked at it from a service basis, you know. So. Everything from logistical nightmares early on. We were using pen and paper. I literally went out and I bought two things. I bought an Office Depot calendar, one of those map desk calendars, if you know what I'm referring to. And I bought one of those old school maps, you know, that you had to, you know, spread across the table to, to review. And that was my logistics tool. And, you know, we we had tons of inefficiency because of that. We were way too long on the road, too many people riding the clock because they claim to be lost or whatever and so the first thing we did is we said let's go test some software that can make life easier for us. What we discovered is software that's serving our industry was very crude at the at the time and I said to myself that there's a way that we can make that better and it took a while but eventually as we grew uh, we were able to bring that software development in-house and actually create our own a piece of software that our franchisees and our customers uh, utilize today. And it's everything from a log- logistical tool that's uh, much better than a map on a desk uh, to a, a, a part CRM has merchant processing inside of it. It's got a pricing component to it as well. And it also allows our customers to book directly for this afternoon if they want it, you know, so right. it, uh, in our world, it's, you know, we kind of call ourselves sort of the Google or the residential cleaning industry. We're not Google. You know, we're not in Silicon Valley, we're square in the Southeastern part of the US, you know, and so we, we're, we don't want to c- c- compare ourselves directly with a Google or Facebook. But, you know, we do have a really strong software development team in house and we're proud of those guys and they've built a heck of a, a software that really, really helps make our, our franchisees lives better. And that's for me what I always wanted is I didn't necessarily know how we could use machinery to make our customers lives better, but I felt like we can make the business owner's life easier. And that's that's really how we've decided to use technology to improve the business model.
0: Do you have like an app where the customer rates the cleaning job or something like that? We do.
1: Yeah. So that's actually our secret sauce. That's what makes us completely different. It's what we call our purple cow. For any of you Seth Godin fans out there that's read the book, Purple Cow, um, yes. We, you know, you know, we, that's that's our purple count. It, it actually came from that book, so we call it the Pay for Performance Plan. Wow. And uh, in the early days, we didn't have software. We had to uh, abacus, and we needed really strong calculus skills to pull it off. But basically, <laughs> every time someone cleans a home, every time we send two people to clean a house, the customer rates their level of satisfaction on a really simple scale of one to ten and that number will directly determine the compensation level for the two people who clean the house and it is a powerful message that we send to customers and it's different it is a purple cow in our opinion it's it's very unique in our industry and uh, in the early days it was very difficult to pull off because it was a ton of record keeping a lot of hand written manual math Uh, the good news is today the main piece of work is just the, the, the data entry of it some of the customers rate directly Literally from an app, like you asked, they will they will uh, slide a scale from one to ten, and we'll get a number from that. In other cases, we talk directly with a customer. We have to enter the data, but the math's all behind the scenes at this point. No more abacuses.
0: Oh, <laughs> I love that. That is so great. So when you think back about this journey, and it's a relatively short journey from starting this business to getting to the franchising, what is one like major blunder that you made that you learned a lesson from that you could share? Oh.
1: Gosh, one, oh, man, there's so many. The biggest blunder for me, is, it's, this is going to sound too easy of an answer, but it's, it's, it's the truth. And so it, it's going to sound easy, but just bear with me. So for seven years, we opened corporate stores. We had 12 corporate stores before we ever franchised. And we were doing well. We were growing. Top line revenue was strong. You know, we, we had a few weaknesses here and there. The problem was we had, we had outgrown our infrastructure. And so we had to make a real decision. How do we leverage tomorrow? How, how do we keep chasing our dream to become a national brand? And um, it was going to be hard because we were very much cash flow driven at the time. There were no banks just dying to hand us over money because our biggest asset was a vacuum cleaner. Right. So we uh, we had to wait till we made money in a new store before we could open the 13th store or 14th store. And I've always had this overarching just dream to to build a national uh cleaning brand that's like none other. And so I knew that meant more stores and opening corporate stores just wasn't doing it for me fast enough. And we were having some just real issues because we were hiring people in other towns and then going back to Birmingham, Alabama and saying, do your job and in return, we'll pay you, you know, an employee. And that employee-employer relationship sometimes thrived, sometimes failed. Mm -hmm. Franchising surfaced about that time. And I was totally against, I was scared to death of it because I thought all these franchisees are going to hate us. It's going to be a us versus them mentality, and I want our success to be shared and happy and, and positive. And so I was scared to death of it until one day um, in a Las Vegas hotel lobby, I met a franchisor randomly. Uh, we were headed back to the hotel uh, or to the airport, and on that ride back, um, this franchisor, who was in a consumer service field, told me all the great things about franchising and my, my eyes were wide open all of a sudden to that. And I went, over, went back home and over the course of the next several months, uh, fell in love with franchising, totally pivoted and changed the business model to focus on franchising as our new mode of growth. And looking back on it, the biggest mistake I can ever really admit to was the fact that I was so blind to how powerful franchising can be. It's not an employee-employer relationship. It's absolutely a business partnership and we have shared mutual interest. We want the franchisee to make money because that means we make money as well. So we both want success from one another. And um, it's also allowed us to partner with superstars that teach us new things. You know, in the old days, I was the smartest guy in the room. Uh, Today... We have 88 franchises open for business today, and we have 88 really, really smart people that for the most part are smarter than I am. And so we we receive ideas from them that we test and then at some point we 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 process and we implement within the network. We would have never had that um, opportunity when we were opening our corporate stores.
0: That's great. And and I think you just broke a myth about franchising, where people often think that you buy a franchise and they're going to tell you, you know, when to do this and when to do that, rules, regulations, and it's like paramilitary, and it's not at all, even if you go back and watch the movie The Founder with Michael Keaton about McDonald's and those guys, And, and there's so many different stories, but these franchises grow from the innovation of their franchisees and all these franchisees bring in, you know, you'll have somebody who was an airline pilot and you could probably rattle off a bunch of industries where other people came from. And now they are helping you to grow as a brand. And it's, and we were talking about this yesterday with one of your franchisees in Florida that when the tide rises, all the boats float. And, and that's the beautiful thing about franchising. So... <laughs>
1: I'll tell you a really good example. Just it's a practical real-life example. So one of our first franchise stores was in Fort Worth, Texas. And um, this guy is still a great franchisee. He's built an amazing business. And early on, we had this third-party piece of software that helped automate the hiring process. And it was a really good piece of software that we were happy with. We used it forever in our corporate operations and um, we knew the people really well at the corporate levels so who had a great relationship with the vendor. And here's Fort Worth, Texas saying, I got something that's cheaper and better. In real life, cheaper and better doesn't normally exist, right? And so we were skeptical, uh, but we said, you know what? We're new at this, we're naive enough to give this a shot. And so we gave it a shot, we tested it at the corporate level. And sure enough, it was pretty clear it was cheaper and better. And so we tested it with a larger test group. Uh, at the time we had four franchisees. So we tested it with two, 50% of the network <laughs> and it was cheaper and better. And we still use that, that software today and it has saved our franchisees literally thousands of dollars over the, over the years. And that, came, that idea came from a franchisee in Fort Worth, Texas. We would have never experienced that with corporate growth.
0: Love that story. Love that. So Ron, what, what are you excited about right now in business?
1: Well, it's the same thing I've been excited about forever, you know, so there's two things I kind of will talk about. So my dream has always been literally from day one to build the largest, fastest growing, most innovative residential cleaning service in America. Those words may sound like just words to most people, but to me, it's my life's mantra. It means more than just words on a piece of paper to me. It means everything. It's my scoreboard. And so until we can reach that goal, that dream, I'm not done. You know, I'm going to keep fighting, keep hustling. And uh, that's what keeps me going. It's what keeps me showing up every day here with a smile. So that's what I'm most excited about is just keep keep on fighting. The second is I've sort of had this renewed enthusiasm for the business model. The demand for our industry has always been strong, but it's stronger now than I've ever seen it. You know, it is in the old, old days, people who hired us hired us because this was a luxury style purchase. They were proud of it they would brag about it and you know it was only for the who's who of every community right today most of our customers are middle america dual income households two or three kids no time on their schedule because they're working going to the soccer games you know and just busy and the last thing they want to do is clean on saturday morning or whatever And so here we are standing there ready to take their business. And in the old, old days, no one would have ever paid us the rates they're paying us today. Um, And so the prosperity of America is as strong as it's ever been in terms of the economy. And um, that's a huge part of the reason for the demand. But I also believe that there's been this sort of shift in buying mentality Where the suburban household thinks it's okay. It's not a luxury. It's actually a necessity to hire people like us. And that's been a huge deal for us in terms of benefit. And we're, we're working our tail off uh, to figure out a way to get in front of that and really be a true purple cow within the residential cleaning industry.
0: Yeah, and and you guys are doing a fabulous job. Can't wait to get a couple of franchisees here in uh, Long Island where, where I live because it's needed and you could kill it here for sure.
1: Right, yeah, I agree. Yeah, you'll be our first customer, right?
0: <laughs> I, I, and we will be because and, and we have a mom and pop outfit that's doing it now and they are doing a really bad job. Matter of fact, last week after they left, I told my wife I want to fire them. They're just not doing it. right. And the amount of things that have been broken in the past year by these folks is just ridiculous. It's just,
1: you know, here, here, here. I, th- I think this is sort of the, the secret to any industry. Forget residential cleaning. You just talked about it. When you think about the relationship you have, let's say with your wife, with my wife, if I, if you were to break something today in your house, your wife probably wouldn't divorce you, right? <laughs> Probably <laughs> well, <me>. yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> because you have a relationship. You guys, you know, obviously married, you're loving one another, you have a history and you can overcome mistakes because of that bond you have. That's what we want Two Maze and a Mop to be to our customers. We're going to make mistakes. We may break things too. We're not going to be perfect. We're actually going to be imperfect, but we want to create a relationship, a bond, a strong bond with every one of our clients so that when those mistakes happen, the, the customer can say, you know what? That wasn't good but I'm going to overlook it because look at all the other great things these guys do for me. Ah. That's really our goal with every one of our clients that we sign on on, a, on an everyday basis.
0: Great philosophy. I, I really love that. So Ron, is, is there a book or, or, or a mentor that, that you could mention that has helped you along your journey?
1: This is going to sound too easy as well. Um, everybody's favorite investors, Warren Buffett, right? You know, and so I'm from Southwest Georgia, which is uh, probably very foreign to you, but it's just, trust me, it's in the middle of nowhere. It's uh, super Southern, very rural and very poor, to be honest with you. And I somehow along the way, never met the guy, but ran into this uh, book about Warren Buffett. And, you know, he's Midwestern, he's from Nebraska and he talked like people from South Georgia do. Yeah. Super super conservative, very frugal, yet he's a multi-billionaire and at the time was the richest man on earth. And I fell in love with everything Warren Buffett, you know, and I've been fortunate to, you know, be sharing in his story, um, two really cool stories just from the last 12 months. Um, somehow, some way, CNBC discovered my infatuation for Warren Buffett. I, I've always felt that Warren Buffett was sort of like a second father to me. And I always feel like the guy's watching me, even though I've never met him one time. And so everything I do, every decision I make, I go, what would Warren do? And, you know, so somehow CNBC discovered this. And they did this big expose on myself and two maids of the mop, the business, and featured some of our franchisees, came to our national conference, went out to some of our stores, and they aired it uh, the night before the Berkshire Hathaway shareholder meeting um, that happens every May in in, uh, Omaha. On top of that, this is even a cooler, cooler deal. The last two years of that shareholder conference, before Warren Buffett speaks, they air the two maids to a mop CNBC piece, and Warren Buffett watches it. So to me, that's the biggest thing in the world. It's the coolest thing ever. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's a great story. You yeah. know, and, and it's kind of like putting it out in the universe and, and amazing things happen. Right. <laughs> Such a great story. Oh, yeah, um, thank you. Man. You got to get to the Berkshire Hathaway.
1: I, I used to go every year, but then kiddos showed up. And uh, then there's <laughs> baseball games and dance recitals and oh, all that on the weekend.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So the kids are important, obviously. Right, <laughs> and,
1: and, right, right.
0: And talking about that, that's what makes it such a great franchise for, you know, husband and wife teams because you're doing residential cleaning, you know, during the day. right. Right. And, and so it's family friendly franchise. Do you, do you agree with that?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. It's Monday through Friday. There's no weekends. It's eight to five. Essentially. Nobody wants you in their home seven o'clock on a Tuesday night cleaning their house, you know, so we're, we're out by four five o'clock at the latest, you know, part of this was a selfish decision. I am, uh, again, from the Southeast, we are obsessed with our college football. And so the very first Saturday that I opened, this is a true story. The very first Saturday that I opened the business, we were originally based in Florida. And so I had this idea to clean these vacation rentals on the beach on Saturday because that's the turnover day for everybody coming in and leaving town. And so I did it. These, you know, big tickets and I'm like, yes, I'm making money. And about that time, I realized I'm missing football. And so I got to do something. I got to change this. I said, (laughs) I got to figure out a way to get back to my football. This is pre-kids. And uh, that was one of the early motivations to change to a Monday through Friday residential focus so I could watch football.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Right. Because I would consider that commercial cleaning what you were doing. Right. Commercial cleaning is off hours. You're Cleaning the restaurant and the doctor's office after hours. Right. So I get that. That makes a lot of sense. So what's the best advice you've ever received?
1: Oh, I, I could go on and on with so many, you know, really good, topics. Some people I've met face to face that have given me some, some great, some like Warren Buffett I've never met, but to me, the, the, the one I have to talk about and, and you're going to probably relate to this. And I'm not sure if you um, had a chance to meet the founder of subway in the past, you know, and, Fred and DeLuca, you know, he passed away a few years ago, but um, I was fortunate to meet Fred DeLuca at a conference many years ago. I had stepped out to check email and I sat at this table and it was just me and him and I didn't know who he was at the time. And I was checking email and he started to make small talk. It's just the two of us sitting there. And, um, you know, I answered some questions. I was pretty full of myself cause we had 14 or 15 stores and I thought I was, you know, a big deal <laughs> and I was just being nice and cordial. And I said, so what do you do? And he said, well, I started this little company called Subway. And we have 42,000 franchise units now. And my eyes went, you know, pretty big. And you know what? For the next hour, Fred DeLuca gave me a whole tutorial on franchising. And, you know, the best thing he told me that, and we went on to become friends, fast friends, really, after that. And, again, he passed away a few years ago. And, but before that, and just before he became ill, we, we, were, we were talking on a regular basis. And the one thing that sticks with me that I'll never forget is he told me that early on, the very first subway, the very first few subways that they opened in Connecticut, the stores, you know, it was the sandwich was good. The process was great, but the profits were what really was what sold the business model. Just staggering, unheard of profit margins that nobody had ever seen in food business, the food service industry before. And over time, he said that franchisees said, let's do this, let's do that, let's do this, let's automate that, let's systemize this, let's process that. And everything was meant to make the franchisee's life better. And it did. You know, the, the business model in 2018 at, or 16 at the time was completely different than it was 30 years ago when he first started. And the franchisee had to almost do nothing. But the mar- profit margins were in the very low single digits also many years later, whereas they were in the double digits and, and then some in, when he first started. So he told me, this is going to sound counterproductive, to listen to your franchisee's but always work to respect the bottom line of the business model because a franchisee is going to really want to make their life easier and you're going to want to make their life easier too. But if that comes at the expense of profit, work hard to fight against that. And so I have sort of taken that mantra and looked at it as sort of one of my biggest purposes as the CEO of Two maids in a Mob is to protect the bottom line for every single franchisee because one of the biggest reasons, if not the only reason people enter into business ownership is to make money. And so, you know, that's, uh, if Fred DeLuca thinks that's the way you should build a franchise model, it was good enough for me.
0: <laughs> wow, that is really an amazing story. And that's what, I, that's what I love about the International Franchise Association. I think that's probably the meeting you met Fred at. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, and actually my mentor, Jeff Elgin, shares a similar story where he was outside sitting on a bench sitting next to this guy he didn't know and it was Fred. <laughs> and, and he tells us a similar. Is that story. right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You should ask me about it next time you see. Uh, Jeff. Yeah. Pretty funny stuff. So Ron, to to wrap it up, this has been absolutely wonderful. We should do this again. You got so much wisdom and knowledge, not only for franchisees <laughs> but for franchisors and people turning their business into a franchise. You absolutely. Got so much. What's one myth that you would like to bust right here, right now, about franchising?
1: Well, to me, I, I you know. I believe that the best franchisees also are very hungry entrepreneurs. And I know that in the franchise industry, that's not necessarily what people want to categorize franchisees with. And, and while they're not Steve Jobs, who wants to go live on an island and risk everything every day, um, at the same time, in our world, in our network, you talked to one yesterday, our best franchisees are absolutely strong entrepreneurs. And so we get great ideas from them and uh, we listen to them and they hustle, man. They do, they follow our rules, they follow our systems, they follow our process. Uh, but at the same time, they wake up every day with a passion a drive that um, is pretty dang strong. And so to me, that's the biggest myth is that a, a, a great franchisee can also be a great entrepreneur.
0: Yeah that is great. And, and, and that's also right. Another fallacy where you're not an entrepreneur. Cause I, I do say that I'm guilty of that. You're a business owner, but you're not really an entrepreneur. But I mean, in, in my own franchises that I owned, I actually did entrepreneurial stuff and helped the franchise do new things. So I had my own ideas that I was bringing to the table from my end of the world. So, so great stuff.
1: I'll, I'll tell you. So our, our best franchisees give me hell. They give me hell. You know, they call me and they push me and they challenge me and they test me and they say, let's try this, let's try that. And I say no a lot. But those guys are awesome. And I love every one of those guys that do that because it really pushes me to make sure that our model is strong, is profitable and scalable. And so, you know, as much as we love franchisees, those same franchisees follow the, no one's going outside of our systems. No one's, just saying, you know what, I got a better way to skin the cat here. I'm going to do it differently today because I'm an entrepreneur. And so, you know, when I say they're a great entrepreneur, it doesn't mean they're out there just being cowboys and doing whatever they want. You know, they're still very much following our model, but they're also pushing us to really reinvent the business model as often as we can.
0: Yeah, right. You're all in it together. And and so, you know, the the it's a mutual respect thing. That's kind of what I'm hearing is absolutely between yeah. you and the franchisees, it's it's just it's respect and um, and that goes a long way and, and there's also trust, as you mentioned, that's a big takeaway for me, is is when you have that trust, like in a marriage, you could do wonderful things and when there is a mistake, the whole house doesn't fall apart.
1: So. Right, right.
0: This don't is break great something work.
1: today though. So don't test that theory.
0: No, not every day, <laughs> but every once in a while, you never know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It does happen and it's out of your control usually when it does. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this is well, great. How, how can people get in touch with you to, to pick your brain if they wanted to?
1: Yeah, there's a couple ways. TwoMadesFranchise.com, just like it sounds, two TwoMadesFranchise.com is the easiest way to go and learn more about the franchise opportunity, what the investment uh, looks like um, yep. talk, you'll be able to hear from some of our franchisees as well um, you know honestly I love talk and shop with as many people as possible about franchising residential cleaning entrepreneurship so if someone wants to find me on LinkedIn I'm easy to find I'm a two-sellable guy Ron Holt so <laughs> search for Ron Holt and you'll find me <laughs> yeah.
0: there you go and and so all that information will be on the franchiseacademy.com as well so if you're listening on Apple or Pandora or Spotify go to the and you will find all of Ron's information and two maids in the mop info. Ron thank you so much for being on the show really appreciate it. Oh Tom I, I love it let's do it again. yeah absolutely God bless you thank you so much we'll talk to you soon
1: you bet thank you all
0: right. This has been another episode of the franchise Academy podcast. For more info, go to our website, thefranchiseacademypodcast.com. Remember to subscribe to Tom Skarda's YouTube channel for educational videos on franchising, education, insight, and inspiration.